Good morning. I love being in here with you. I love it. I have a lot of memories of classes in here. I've preached in Estes a few times, but I've never preached in here. So this is fun for me. And um, so if you are um, new to campus, this is, I don't know that we've ever done this before, have we? I don't know. But it's sort of like, think of it this way. The Estes Chapel, that, and, and, you know, when you're Thanksgiving, when you go home for Thanksgiving, that's like the grown-up table, okay? <laughs> and this is the kids' table. Which table would you rather be at? I'd rather be at the kids' table, because at the kids' table, you can draw on the table with ketchup, and you can throw your french fries, which you get at the kids' table. You get french fries, not grown-up food. You get french fries and throw them at your brother, and you can laugh until Sprite comes out your nose. So we're at the kids' table. Six years ago, I was in a room in Houston with about 50 people who were dreaming up a new movement that might revive historic Orthodox Methodism. And I have to tell you, I was a little distracted in that room because there was a rock star in there, and I was seated right next to him. I had never met Billy Abraham. You might not even know his name right now, but there he was at my table. He was in the 20th, earliest, the, the early part of the 21st century, one of the Methodism's deepest thinkers and best scholars. And the rest of us always stood in awe of Billy's intellect and his um, passion for the church. At some point during the day, we were told to turn to a couple of people at our table and to, to talk amongst ourselves about the mission of this new thing we were dreaming up. And in that conversation at our table, Dr. Abraham insisted that whatever else this new thing would be, it must be about the welcome and advance of the kingdom of God. And of course, he was right. He was exactly right. But I had never heard it phrased exactly that way before. The welcome and advance of the kingdom of God. That was brilliant phrasing to me. And it clarified the truth that God builds his kingdom and that our mission is to see it and, and expose it and promote it. The welcome and advance of the kingdom of God. That's the work of the church. Which means, listen that the welcome and advance of the kingdom of God is what you are here to learn how to do. And what I'm still learning how to do. <laughs> so it seems right, since this is what we're all after, is to talk today about the kingdom of God. And, and it seems right because this is what Jesus taught people how to do. He taught people how to look for the kingdom of God. So when Mark wrote his account of the good news about Jesus, he used fewer parables or teaching stories than Matthew or Luke, but, but he used them strategically to demonstrate that when Jesus taught, his value, his goal was to, was to reveal, to welcome, to advance the kingdom of God. And there's one parable I particularly like in Mark. It's the one we just heard. It, only Mark shares that parable. It isn't in any of the other gospel accounts. And because Mark didn't waste words, I'm interested in this little story and why he made sure to include it. So can we look at that together this morning to see if we can find some kingdom word that will make a difference in how you take this mountain called seminary. The story is in Mark chapter 4. He gives us this chapter of stories that before he gets to this one, he gives us a whole chapter of stories that build a case for the character of the kingdom of God. Basically, Jesus and Mark want 
to hear that it isn't what we think the kingdom. It's not what we think. The kingdom of God is generous, extravagant. It's not afraid of running out. And it seems insignificant until it isn't. The kingdom of God travels and the kingdom of God grows. And the kingdom of God isn't necessarily something you have to understand so much as do. That's the point of the parable of the growing seed. So I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 4, verse 26. In my world, we say every week, the best way to engage the message is with your Bible, something to write on and something to write with. And so you're in seminary, you better have a Bible with you. Um, and I want you to turn it to Mark chapter 4, verse 26, and get something to write on or write with too. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. I'm going to read it again, just because I have a couple of comments to make as I read it. He also said, this is Jesus talking. This is what the kingdom of God is like, and you can just sort of feel it, right? They're sort of leaning in. Okay, finally, you have spoken to us in the most abstract, bizarre ways possible. We don't get what you're saying. Talk slow. You're going to tell us what the kingdom of God is right. We're all ready. Here it is. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like, y'all. A man scatters some seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, and the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. <laughs> and there's Jesus going, get it? And his disciples, who we already know are the Larry Moe and Curly of the, of the New Testament, are like, I don't get it. Would you just tell us? It's such an odd little story on top of a bunch of odd little stories with no explanation attached to this one. Only Mark tells it, and I think I know why. It's because it says some hard things about the kingdom of God that you actually have to know. Anybody who wants to go looking for the kingdom of God needs to know this about the kingdom. And here's what I hear in this little story. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a guy who doesn't know what he's doing, doesn't know how it all works, but who doesn't let that stop him from trusting the process. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a thing that works in ways that aren't necessarily logical or reasonable or even knowable. It just works. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's a relationship with mystery. You should write that down. The kingdom of God is a relationship with mystery. You'll wake up and you'll go to bed and the whole time you're doing other things and it'll be right there working and you've got no clue how. Your part is to keep doing your part while the mystery keeps doing its part. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like waiting for a plant to grow or a pot to boil. You can't make it happen by watching and you can't stop it by not watching. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's something you do, sometimes with a blindfold on. And always with a deep trust that what's happening under the surface will eventually show up as fruit. And listen, that's how you know it's the kingdom of God, because it bears fruit. So I have a thing I want to tell you. I've been waiting all summer to tell you. I have, it's a story I think might be saying the same thing Jesus is trying to say. And the minute this story happened to me, I said, I can't wait to get to Asbury to tell him this story. I spoke at the Aldersgate Renewal Movement's um, annual gathering earlier this summer in June. 
Aldersgate Gate is a, a group of charismatic Methodists. They've been around for decades, and they come from all over for this gathering. And I'd only been to Aldersgate one other time in my whole life, and it was 26 years ago when I was here at Asbury in school. And I got pulled into going by the, this odd character on campus who was, I don't know, just odd, okay? And if, if you haven't already met a few odd people here, you will. That's a promise. Don't look at him right now. Don't look. Keep your eyes up front. Don't look. <laughs> or if somebody's looking at you, just, just ignore it right now. So I went to Aldersgate back in the 90s, and it was an experience. Back then, there were thousands of people who would show up for this gathering and worship and pray and dance and speak in tongues and fall out in the spirit, the whole nine yards. And these were Methodists. I remember... <laughs> thinking to myself, these people are crazy. This was not my experience growing up. I grew up in mainline Methodism. Since then, I've learned a few things. I've, I've been on my own journey. And so it's kind of funny to me and a little bit ironic that this year I was the plenary speaker for the crazy people. <laughs> and I have to tell you what happened. The first night I was there, Kevin Watson, the guy who literally wrote the book on bands and class meetings, he asked if he could pray over me. We weren't even at the first worship service yet. We were in the cafeteria. And, and in that prayer, Kevin spoke a word into my life that only he could have known by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was the exact word I had been dealing with all spring long. And, and, and the Holy Spirit knew I needed it. It was an amazing word. It was a healing word. I was so grateful for that work. Left that prayer time sort of stunned like, God, see me. And that was during dinner. We weren't even at the first worship service yet. But then we got to the worship service that night and they had, the, you know, the, the worship service was nice. They had prayer ministers at the end that they, they'd set all up front, you know, at the end of the service. And, and, and like I said, it had been a good service, but it, nothing dramatic had happened to me. I, so I was tired. I'd been traveling all day to get there. And I thought, I'd already gotten my word at dinner, so I just thought, you know what, I'm going to beeline up there because I am the speaker, so I have to look spiritual, and I'll get somebody to pray for me, and then I'll just, I can be, I can leave early. So I, so I, I run up there, but just before I get there, somebody steps right in front of me, and they start praying for that person. And evidently this person has some big, huge thing going, so it takes a huge amount of time, some major healing or something, I don't know what it was. I, I, and I can't change lanes because that's just rude. And so I'm stuck in this line behind this person who was getting the royal prayer treatment. And I think, you know, I'm just going to leave. And I turn to leave. And just as I turn, Bishop Jonathan Holston, who is the bishop of the South Carolina Annual Conference, he comes walking toward me. Now, if you don't know anything about my involvement with United Methodism, this next part won't seem like a big deal to you. But let me just tell you, this is really funny. For, for those of you who do know. Anyway, so he comes walking toward me, and, he's, and, he, and his arms are wide open, and he grabs me in this big, huge bear hug, and he starts to pray over me in tongues, a United Methodist bishop praying over me in tongues. And, 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 he's, he's, and he's laying his hands on my head, and he keeps praying, and I'm not even sure what he's saying, even though some of it is in English. I'm just stunned by this moment that I am being prayed over by a bishop. And then, as if that's not enough, bam, I go down. <laughs> Slain in the spirit under the prayer of a United Methodist bishop. 
that never happens. And while I'm down there, my brain says to my body, this is the funniest thing I've ever heard of. I just got slain in the spirit while being prayed over by a United Methodist bishop. This is crazy. And I start to laugh. Have you ever heard of a thing called holy laughter? I'd heard of it. I'd never had it happen. There are stories about people getting holy laughter in some of the big revivals of the 19th century. John and Charles Wesley, they had seen it. They even talked about it once, about how it wasn't real and wasn't appropriate. And then it happened to Charles. And then it happened to John. And now what do you do with that? You know, when you're the person who gets struck with holy laughter. I've asked myself that same question. What do I do with some of this stuff that isn't my culture when I'm the one who gets hit? This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a thing that works in ways that aren't necessarily logical or reasonable or even knowable. It just works. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's a relationship with mystery. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's something you do, sometimes with a blindfold on, and always with a deep trust that what's happening under the surface will eventually bear fruit. Kevin Watson, the guy who prayed over me at dinner and gave me that profound prophetic word, he's a Wesley scholar. And he says that Wesley saw all these things, getting laid, in, uh, laid out in the spirit and, and, and holy laughter, all those unusual spiritual manifestations, Wesley saw all of them through the lens of fruitfulness. Does it bear fruit? Does it bear fruit that lasts? Not, you know, not just temporary, but enduring, influential. In other words, does it welcome and advance the kingdom of God? Because, friends, listen, the, in, the inbreaking kingdom of God, that's the whole deal. So let me come back to my story about holy laughter. I have to tell you, it was the sweetest, strangest experience I have had in a long time. I laughed and laughed and laughed. I have no idea. I was like right here up front, rolling on the floor. I had never done anything like that before. There was that time I got slain in the spirit in the Golden Corral. That's a whole different story. This rivaled that for weird. I can tell you it felt like medicine. I finally eventually pulled myself together enough to get out of the room but I laughed all the way back to my hotel room that night, and I called my son-in-law to tell him what was happening, and I couldn't stop laughing long enough to, to describe what had happened. I, I, I went to bed that night laughing. I woke up the next morning laughing. How in the world does something as bizarre as holy laughter advance the kingdom of God? I don't know. I don't believe it's God's plan A for communicating with us. <laughs> but here's what I can tell you. For about 20 years now, every few years, I go through a pretty rough patch emotionally. I remember being in one of those rough patches my first semester in seminary. And, and, and God spoke to me. I went up to the altar at Estes. I begged him, you get me out of this. I will give back all the money. I'll suffer any amount of humiliation. Get me out of this. And God spoke to me at the altar in a way that was profound and life-changing. I, I eventually got my degree. 
because of that moment. Those rough patches have come and gone over the years. And, and since about December last year, December 2021, I've been in that place again. It was pretty rough for the first half of this year. I didn't know how to get out of it. In fact, I distinctly remember that on the day, on the way to that Aldersgate event, that day, I was driving up to it. I said to myself in the car, I can't remember the last time I laughed. It had been months. But that night in June, someone scattered some words in my direction, some seeds of prayer, and I laughed and laughed and laughed. And somewhere in the middle of that laughter, I found some healing. I believe that laughter was a gift of God. And I can't tell you why that happened to me and might not ever happen to you if it's never happened to you. I don't know. I can't tell you in general why God heals some people and doesn't heal others or how his timing works. He so rarely seems to answer at the moment we ask. All I know is I've known pretty much since that happened that night, that I'd be sharing this story with you this morning here at the kids' table. I couldn't wait to get here because we're Asbury. And, and so we know each other, even if we don't know each other. And I know that in this place, it's okay to say that even if I can't answer all the questions, even if so much of it doesn't fit my logical parameters, I have permission in this place to go looking for the kingdom of God, which is to say that you have permission to go looking for the kingdom of God here. And maybe, maybe that's the whole reason you're here at all. Almost 20 years ago, I, God called me to plant a new church. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. It's still hard. Somewhere back in the beginning, I was so frustrated and felt so clueless. I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to be doing or why I was even doing this. And about that time, I met a female church planner, another one. Or maybe I should say the other one. <laughs> She'd started her church a few years before, and she told me that that in that first year of her planning her church, she'd gone to church planners boot camp and, and right at the beginning of the assignment. And when she went, she was just on the verge of getting started and so excited like I was when all these ideas were still in their idealistic, pristine state. And she sat down that first day in that boot camp in this room full of egos, because that's what church planners mostly are. All these people who just knew they had the right answer for God's true church. And then the boot camp leader came out, and the first thing he said to them was this. He said, you are here because this is the only option God had left to get your attention. <laughs> you are here because maybe this is the only, God, the only option God has left to get your attention. Which is to say, maybe God is doing something in your life or will do something even if you know nothing about it right now. It may even be possible that God does not have you or me, either one here in this moment, in this 
at the kids' table because either of us is particularly gifted or anointed. Maybe the Lord has us here because this is the only way he could get our attention. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a guy who doesn't know what he's doing in Wilmore, doesn't know how all this is going to work out, but who doesn't let that stop him from trusting the process. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's a relationship with mystery, and sometimes that mystery is going to hang on till the last possible moment before you figure out what God is doing. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's something you do, sometimes with a blindfold on, because, and always with a deep trust that what's happening under the surface will eventually show up as fruit. This, Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters some seed on the ground. He's got no clue how it all works chemically, biologically. Night and day, he just goes to bed, he gets up. The whole time it's working. The seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. And all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel on the head. And as soon as the grain, grain is ripe, as soon as he sees it, thank God he sees it. Lord, have mercy on the sower who doesn't see it. As soon as he sees it, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Nathan Pinocchio is, is, was, I don't know, the pastor, the teaching pastor at Hillsong, New York. I just say is, was, I don't know, because, you know, with pastors of big churches, it happens in a minute. I'm sure not to him, but I'm just saying. He, he talks about that frustrating place where you want to be doing this huge, important thing. And meanwhile, you're stuck in a job or a life or a moment that's frustrating. It's maybe even it's painful. And the worst of it is that it doesn't feel like God is listening or like he cares or like he's doing anything you can discern. You're, you're praying for change and nothing is happening. Pinocchio says it may be the problem isn't that God isn't working, but that you are misreading the season. And then he talks about trees about how in the winter the sap in a tree actually reverses and goes back down into the roots to nourish them. Do you know that? And so while the branches look bare, the tree is actually alive and stronger, getting ready for the next season, nourishing its own roots. A tree without leaves, it must be winter season. Leaves, it must be fruit-bearing season. And Pinocchio says, once you know what season you're in, you suddenly have context for what God is saying. Once you've identified the season, watch how loud and focused God's speech will become. You will start to notice all the ways he's trying to communicate with you, but you couldn't hear him because you were focused on hearing the language of a season you were not in. Come on. He goes on to say, we're not responsible for forcing fruit, but we are responsible to go deep in the winter, sow in the spring, rest in the summer, and harvest in the fall. You're responsible for recognizing that life has seasons and that faithfulness looks like responding appropriately to each one. Let me say that again. 
You are responsible for recognizing that life has seasons and that fruitfulness looks like responding appropriately to each one. So his whole point is this, have, have faith in God for the season. You, you may not understand everything that's happening under the soil, but you can know your season. So this is where Mark leaves us in Mark chapter 4. After all those parables and lessons on the kingdom of God, Mark leaves us with a scene of Jesus out in the boat with his followers. A storm kicks up and the guys are scared to death. Don't you care if we drown, he asks. Or they ask. How many times have I said that just in the last year? How many times have you said that just in the last week? Don't you care if I drown? And then Jesus says to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? So maybe you don't know how storms work or how seeds grow or how fruit happens, but that isn't where faith begins. Faith is not in what you know, Jesus says. Faith is in what I know. And that, that is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like someone who believes it will all be okay, even while the storm is raging, not because we know, <laughs> but because God knows.